Quick, come up with something funny to say. Hello? Yo. Bort. Oh, that's really cool. Somehow I think you're lying. Uh-huh. Oh, fail. Oh. Ah. Bad Philosophy, episode 68, recorded on July 13th, 2010. Unfortunate Convenience. Hello everyone, welcome and one, two, Bad Philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time. We're back for episode 68. I know it's been a long time since we've recorded an episode, and uh, I'll just come right right out and say it. Um, I apologize for for not committing as much time as I should to this wonderful little program, but we're back, and... Another I was completely available to do a number of episodes in Prague, but you never asked. I did not hear from you at all, Kevin Saunders. Welcome to That's the show. You asked me how to get in, how you asked how to get in contact with me. I told you, and you never did anything. And you recorded all of one episode while I was there. Yes. <sighs> I fail. I fail, Kevin. <laughs> as long it's, as you admit it. It's simple as that. Early and often. Yeah. And we are recording rather early, uh, speaking of the time, uh, 11 o'clock on a Tuesday, kind of odd for us, I'm still in my PJs and with my mottled hair and a banana peel next to me. And Kevin, uh, I assume you are back from your uh, whirlwind vacation to Prague. Yeah, I'm back in Grapevine after a month in Prague and a few weeks elsewhere, mm-hmm. so... It it was lots of fun, and I but I'm glad to be back. Part one of the best parts of travel is getting to come home at the end. Gotcha. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, the before you coming home part? You mean when I was in Prague? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. I went to Prague. I watched about thirty different performances. Uh, not surprising, since I'm a theater major, that's sort of my job. A um, lot of fun. Beautiful town. Uh, our town. It's town. a major city. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't actually know the population of Prague. I could Google it, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Google knows the answer. Uh, yeah, Prague is... Uh, um, it's, a, it's an interesting place. Um, Czech Republic itself is only about the size of Massachusetts. Um, and Prague is home to about 1.3 million people. That's hmm. a lot. Wow. But yeah, Czech Republic's not big in the same way that Texas is big or that Colorado is big. But uh, one of the things that's nice about it is it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because uh, everything's within train ride away. We did a number of day trips over the course of our trip there, um, went to different cities, and usually we took the train if we were heading somewhere further out, which was pretty nice. And it makes me a little sad that we don't have any real sort of commuter train here in the U.S. We have freight uh, freight trains, but if you want to take a train somewhere, you're kind of out of luck. It's all highways and byways and airplanes. Yeah, well, it's because we, we love our, our American cars so much. We, we do. We love, we we do love the love freedom of the American. open road. And I'm, I got nothing against the freedom of the open road. It's I just don't know... Well, I do know why. It's, it, it is because we, we made highways instead of train tracks. Yeah. But I think we could have both, but I don't know. It's one of those things that there's there's not an immediate market to support it, and who knows what would happen if anybody started it. Although apparently that's what Atlas Shrugged is about by Ayn Rand. I haven't finished it, but yeah. it's about trains. It is about trains. 
very much about trains, and uh, it kind of made me sad. You know, it's it's sort of reminiscent of an er- that era when we did get everywhere via train. Mm-hmm. Um, as recently as the you know 1940s, 1950s, but uh, yeah, right around then when the uh, when Eisenhower was going, hmm, we need to uh, we need to build now up we infrastructure. Spend as much money as possible. <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> and wow, we have all these uh, manufacturing plants making automobiles and selling them to our vets and and baby boomers. Why don't we just build a frick ton of roads? Well, and we did, and roads are good. I like yeah. roads. Roads. Let me move on my schedule. Exactly. But, and they're also, but, uh, considering the vast size of the United States compared to, I don't know, Europe, roads make a lot more sense economically, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. That I, w- I wouldn't say I'm sure. I, don't, I have not seen any numbers on that. Yeah. But uh, one thing, and, and this is the thing about a train that is better than taking a car, is I don't have to pay attention. Hmm. When I'm driving across country, I have to pay attention. Even if I'm on a road trip with friends or family, I don't have to pay attention, but I'm in a little bitty tiny space. Um, You can get, usually we would get a car to ourselves, or four of us, the car was meant for six people, or the the cabin, the whole car was meant for more people. Yeah. And a little bit of space to spread out, I'd put on my iPod, zone out for a while, or talk to people, or whatever. And even better than that, when we I went to uh, Poland for a couple of days, we took a sleeper train there and back. Nice. I slept my way to Poland. <laughs> something which, you can't do in a car. Something you can't do in a car. I mean, you can yes, you can fall asleep in a car, but it's uncomfortable. The sleep is bad. It's not a lot of fun. This train had a bed in it that I slept in. <laughs> And you can get breakfast and coffee in the morning, and they bring it right to your thing. So aside from uh, from sleeping and riding in trains, why don't you tell us some more details of the uh, the performances that you did see? Uh, well, almost all of it was in Czech, oh. so I didn't understand it. But, um, well, I saw two plays in English my second day there, and that was the last time I saw any performance in English. I saw uh, there was a Fringe Festival going on. It was actually put on by the British... University in Prague, huh. or, or held by maybe not university, British organization in Prague. So most of the stuff was in English because it was a British group putting it on. But it ended two days, three days after we got to Prague, so we didn't get to see much. We saw I saw a play called The World's Wife, which was a lot of, and and I, I'm not exaggerating or trying to be facetious here when I say that it was a lot of man-hating feminism. Hmm. That's what the play was. Great. And and unrelated to that, it was poorly produced. Um, <laughs> the set looked like it was about to fall down. Um, the acting was all right. I think some uh, one of the actresses was really good. Um, she was an older woman, but she she nailed her part very well. But some of the other acting was kind of meh. The music was weird and not good weird, because I usually like weird. Mm-hmm. But um, it was it's kind of mediocre. Unrelated to the message. The message, you know, I don't have a lot of room to talk about because it would say that I'm a man and I don't get an opinion, which is uh, an opinion. But yeah, uh, the other show I saw in English was called Crap's Last Tape, uh, which if you theater fans are aware of, know it's a Beckett play. It's a one-act play about a guy listening to an older man, probably in his 70s or 80s, listening to a tape of himself talking about his life that he made when he was 30. 
It's a one-man show. Um, he also eats a banana, huh. which is important, probably. It, kind of a weird play, but then most of Beckett is. Beckett's also the guy that did Waiting for Godot. Okay. I also saw Waiting for Godot in Czech, <laughs> um, which was... I know Waiting for Godot, okay, I don't, I don't love the play. Well, I do. I like the play a lot. I wouldn't say I love it, but it's a weird play. It's a play where nothing happens twice. That's the, the premise of the play, more or less. That's the, that's the famous synopsis. Yeah, I think you've talked about it once before on the show, right? I probably have. Yeah. I, I talk about it a lot. It's, it's a very interesting and historically important piece. The point being is, is that Godot never shows up. Um, they're waiting for him, and at the end of Act 1, a little boy comes up and says, Godot can't make it today, you'll have to come back tomorrow. Yeah. And at the end of Act 2, which is apparently the next day, a little boy comes up and says, Godot can't make it, you'll have to come back tomorrow. And it's sort of implied that he's never going to come. The production I saw, Godot may, may have arrived. Again, it was in Czech, so I don't know. But it was very weird. It was... Um, it was actually set in a Prague train station, huh. uh, which I had seen, so I knew what it looked like. And I said, I didn't know what that is. And the characters were meant to be beggars. They were meant to be vagabonds. So that's okay. And, and I recognized a lot of their action just from having seen some of the homeless, because they were based on the homeless people of Prague, which are not everywhere, but noticeable. There is a definite homeless presence. And so I recognized their actions, their behaviors. I recognized the location. But they weren't waiting for Godot to arrive. It was more like they were trying to get to a place. I say because they would hold up signs that said Godot on them and stick their thumbs out like they were hitchhiking. Huh. So they were trying to get to Godot. <laughs> and then a train arrived. And I think it was the train to Godot. Huh. And at this point... I'm crazy. As far as I can tell, they were still on script, although I don't know. Still use original text. But there was, in the train station, the construction had been fake, but there was wet cement. And they fall in the wet cement and roll around in it for a while. And then take off all their clothes, and they're wearing diapers. Huh. And, and I don't know. I, I really, I uh, walked away from that production saying, I don't know what that was, but it was wasn't for Godot. Yeah. So it, it was a very, very weird person. The audience seemed to like it uh, because it was very entertainingly done. It was lots of, you know, sort of comic palities like that that were watch. But knowing what the play was supposed to be, I was not happy with it. Yeah. Now, I mean, were any of these plays you watched in Czech uh, subtitled? Um, usually the plays were not. I saw three or four operas, which were subtitled. Uh-huh. If it was a, it was a German opera, it was subtitled in Czech and English. Um, that we saw a Czech opera that was done in Czech that was only titled in English. Um, so the, uh, the three operas I saw, I understood. And generally when we would see a play, we would know what we were going to go see ahead of time, so we would get a synopsis off the internet, or we'd find the script and read it. Uh, so we we knew something of the plays before we saw them. Yeah. However, knowing knowing what the play is about is only a part of it, and really seeing it was an interesting experience. And I actually got pretty good at watching 
plays because when it's in a different language, you're not you're using a different portion of your brain to understand what's going on because language is gone. It's it's completely beyond the point of what's happening. It doesn't matter. They could be saying anything. They could be saying the same word over and over again. It doesn't matter. So you really have to watch the action and the physicality and um, see how emotions change and how direction is done, where they're standing, how they're standing, what's happening. And it's really interesting experience as far as understanding theater. I mean, I, I'd like to try it by take, getting, you know, a foreign film or two and watching those without subtitles and seeing if I could figure out what was going on there. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'd probably have more success with it now that I've just been immersed in Czech. Um, not specifically Czech, but in Czech theater, which was not in English. Well, now, um, I, I can see how that would, um, that would work to an extent. Uh, but, but just, just how universal are, uh, emotions and, and physical actions? Cause it seems like culturally there are, you know, just like there are differences in language, there are differences in physical interaction as well and facial expression and, um, uh, you know, oh, what mannerisms are. mean. There certainly are. And that's, and that's a very important point. And I like that you brought it up because that means yeah. I don't have, it's a situation where, Nothing, nothing is universal. Um, I think lots of people would say that. And there is nothing outside of, of context. Everything is based on the context in which it ha happens. Um, for example, had I seen Waiting for Godot, the, the same production I was talking about, without having been in Prague for a while, I wouldn't have understood a lot of the connections that they were drawing physicality with, with what the beggars were doing. Uh, they would sort of take these same poses that I would, uh, you know, one was, was kneeling down with your head bowed with a, with a cup out for people to put money into. That was something I saw two or three times in Prague that I wouldn't have understood as much if I had not had that context. Um, hmm. So it's interesting because there is, there is no universal language. But I think because, well, first of all, Western influences have affected the U.S. and Czech. Now, I won't say equally, but they, but they have been, they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's generally accepted that somebody laughing and smiling is happy. Not always the case, but there's, of course, subtle differences and things like that. And so I think help knowing what was generally intended in the play was useful. But um, I'm trying to think if there, was, if there were plays, if there was a play I saw where I didn't know what was going on. Well, uh, I saw a children's show called Something Something Luna Park Schwartz. <laughs> And it was it was meant for children. It was done off the back of a truck. Okay. That that I mean I'm I'm sure they could have literally have driven this truck anywhere and performed the show. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. But it was I I knew nothing about this play ahead of time. But through some but well first of all it's a children's play and children's plays are generally made very basic. Not simplistic, but very straightforward in that they, you have to be clear with what you're doing for children to understand it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so 
because because they were clear enough for children to understand it, it was almost clear enough for me to understand it. <laughs> because there were um, it, there was there was a family or a group of three people. I assume it was a family because it was a a man, a woman who acted like husband and wife, and a younger woman who acted like a daughter. Again, these right. are all based on my my perceptions of what was happening. And they had created this in, in the in their truck and kind of around it this thing called Luna Park Schwartz, which was basically the world's cheapest amusement park. <laughs> they had a slide that went off the bed of the truck. They had the a a scary box that you went inside and they shook it and went Ooh, and they were like, you know, bugs on, drawn on the inside of it. And so they went, ooh, when you were in the box. And you'd sort of like, you'd have to kneel down to get inside the box, and your back would still be outside, and they'd shake it and go, ooh. And then they had the a spinning chair. Like, that was the whole that was thing. the amusement it was chair. Part. It, was, it was a chair, and you spun around in it. Well, screw Disney World. I know where I'm going after I win the World Series. So, I mean, it was one of these things like, it, I mean, but, but I got all of this because they would, they would take kids out of the audience and say, okay, come right down the, right down the slide. Okay, come, you know, get in the spooky box and it'll go woo and go in the spinny chair. Oh, did they pick you, Kevin? No, they no. didn't. Although they, they did have some fun with me. Nothing, nothing big, but I think they could tell that I didn't know what was going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, as, nor did the other two students who were with me. And so they were nice about it, but you could tell that I had no idea what was going on. And so they were being very big and simple when they would talk to me. Yeah. Uh, I almost got sat on by one of them. But so, <laughs> so that's, that's all happening. And then two guys in the shoots show up. We're very serious. And, and they obviously are trying to shut this thing down because it's unsafe or it's, you know, illegal or something. Yeah. But the, the type is clearly defined to me. And I know two guys in suits, well, this was, um, and they start taking things out of the truck, you know, and inventorying them. And then the family starts stealing them back and putting them back in the truck and causing confusion. And then one of them falls in love with the daughter. <laughs> I know this because they sing a love ballad together. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's not a complicated story, but I knew absolutely nothing about it going into it. And... Because enough of the similarities between my expectations of what people in suits are like and the these things they set up, and, okay, these are obviously, um, you could call them Roma or gypsies. It wasn't intentionally that, but that's the sort of mental image you kind of get of people who travel around trying to make a buck doing something cheap. Yeah. Um, carny folk, almost. Um, that's, that's probably, I don't know, carny folk is probably less offensive than equating them with a whole ethnicity like Roma, so I'll, I'll stick with that. Um, I try not to be too offensive. Mm -hmm. Well, At least yeah. unintentionally offensive. Yeah. But um, So that was, that was a show I knew nothing about going into, but was able to follow along. Um, what, now, was there one with, that you, you knew absolutely nothing about but couldn't follow along? Um... I say that most. I say most of the shows we knew something about ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, I did see a film, a Czech film that I recommend to everybody, um, called Kuki Sevatsi, K U K Y S E V R A C I. 
It's a uh, Czech film. It's not out in the U.S. yet. Um, although they do have an English language website, I found out afterwards. <laughs> uh, but it was. I saw posters for it everywhere, and it looked kind of weird because um, it was a sort of this red teddy bear was on the poster. That was basically the whole poster was the red teddy bear. Yeah. Uh, and so I went to see the movie, and I really don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was in the imagination of this little kid or if it was actually happening because um, it kind of interacted with there was intercut with live action things. Mm -hmm. And so I don't I don't know if it was really happening or not, but I enjoyed it nonetheless because I enjoyed the technical aspects of it. It was done with media with a number. It had CGI. It had stop motion animation and it had puppetry, mm -hmm. all interrelated, and usually, and usually using different ones in the same scene for different effects, um, which was technically was very impressive. But again, it's based on something that I knew something about. I knew that I could tell they were doing different things, and I found that interesting, even of itself. So I didn't find anything that I didn't understand and didn't enjoy, mm -hmm. but... It was. It's probably because there are still enough language similarities. Language being, you know, physical language, uh, technical language beyond just verbal language. Yeah. That I that I understood. Now, had I gone to say Korea, or um, Japan, or China, if I'd seen you know uh, Jinju Opera in China, I probably wouldn't have understood any of it, because um, those are very stylized. Um, things where certain actions have meaning that are understood by that audience that I know nothing about. Yeah. For example, um, I learned um, from another student of mine who studied Jinju Opera that if uh, someone on stage walks in a large circle three times, it means something like three years have passed. <laughs> That that is that and that is generally understood by the audience who goes to see these things, but I would have no idea what any of that meant. Yeah, because that's that's not a convention in in Western theater. It's certainly not. Yeah. Um, it's when it's explained to me like that, I can understand why it means that. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, a large circle. That's you know the world turning or something, or that's yeah. going through time. Three times means three years or whatever, and and I I can understand why that reason is. But there's no inherent meaning there, yeah. and just just like there's no inherent meaning in anything we do, it's all yeah, sort it's, of learned behavior. Yeah, it's all contextual behavior. Yeah. Well, so uh, I was just of, hmm? go ahead. Outside, I was going to ask outside of the uh, theater performances that, that in operas and in films that you saw, what uh, what other activities did you do in in Europe? Um, it's a museum, a lot of art. Um, which was pretty interesting, but it was all, you know, Renaissance-era art that's similar from most of what you find in Europe, which is most of what we study if you go to an art history class here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, a lot of religious things. Um, one thing that was really interesting was the St. Vitus Cathedral, which is the big cathedral in Prague, uh -huh. which has been built since the 14th century. And when I say it has been built, I mean it is. They've worked on it since the 14th century. So they've been like it constantly that, adding to it. It took that long to finish it. 
Now, because of this, um, the whole thing is very schizophrenic in terms of style. Because whenever, whatever they were working on or whatever they were building would sort of match the style of that period, whatever it was. Yeah. Whoever was working on it at that point would use the popular style. It's got uh, Baroque. It's got Gothic. It's got uh, Rococo. It's got Romantic. It's got like all of these various styles, and on different sides of the building, one side <laughs> of the building is a Gothic. Is Gothic like one on the outside? It's Gothic. If you go to I think the other side of the building, it's neo-Gothic. <laughs> And I can't tell the difference, but the people I was with knew more about art history than I did. And so it's it's actually, it, it spanned both the Gothic and Neo-Gothic periods. Dang. And, and so it's almost an art history class in and of itself to just walk through this. And if you, if you had someone to tell you which things were different and when they happened, it would be even more useful. Yeah. Uh, but certainly an interesting experience... Uh, because it it was not cohesive in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, which you sort of expect. But then again, you think about it, it's been being built for 600 years. Um, so you had lots of different builders, lots of different people, um, which isn't something you see. I mean, we want a building up in six months nowadays. Yeah. Um, on the outside, if it, if it takes much longer than that, it's not economically feasible. Of course, this one was built, you know, being built by the church, uh, the Catholic Church, so it had it didn't worry as much about economic feasibility and more about or even about it right. a timetable. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll eventually get it there. Yeah, maybe maybe well, after when, several dozen generations, but <laughs> yeah. well, when it was started, it was the church ran the the country. I mean, the church and government were one thing practically and so they had as much power to do as whatever they wanted and to be fair it's an impressive cathedral yeah you know you get even not knowing it took 600 years to build it's it's impressive just the the detail and the stained glass windows are so intricate also which span different time periods um which is fun <laughs> but <laughs> I... It, it's something that, you know, we don't really have anything like that in the U.S. We don't have anything that old in the U.S. No. Um, and so being able to to see something historically that old is sort of a bewildering experience. It's yeah, hard I got to that feeling. I, I definitely got that feeling uh, in, in Scotland when we visited because we visited some. Um, some some monasteries uh, that were built, yeah. you know, in the eighth century. <laughs> like, yeah. and I the mean, stone that's... is is the same stone that was laid down there way back then. And we're just like, holy crap! You know, <laughs> you touch it, and it, I mean, yeah, it's it's almost impossible to comprehend that much distance in time because yeah. I've been alive for twenty three years and change. Six hundred years is. I, well, what's what's the math there? Let's call it twenty-five times six. That's thirty times as much as I've been alive. Yeah. 
I can't, I can't comprehend twice as much as I've been alive. <laughs> I just don't have that physical experience. Yeah, it's, it's a long and, freaking time. Yeah. And, I mean, the U.S. is barely, is, you know, 200 years old. A little more if you want to go back to the colonies and things like that. But it's, yeah. it's amazing. And, and there wasn't a lot of permanent buildings before the Western people came in and, you know, killed all the natives and did all those horrible things. There wasn't a lot of longer-lasting materials, and mm -hmm. at least none that I'm aware of. Yeah, I mean, the farthest yeah. back you can really point, at least in the Americas, uh, are the, the ruins of the Mayan and Aztec and yeah, uh, Incan I guess, civilizations. I guess there's that. Yeah. And I, that's in South America, and I don't think about that as much, which is probably a shame. Right. But uh, there, that, there is the Mayas, there's the Inca stuff, um, which I would have just as much of a trouble, trouble comprehending how old it is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'd like to go see that sometime. That'd be a good fun trip. Yeah. What are you doing next week? Um, going to New York. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've been to New York. At end of the That's month. That's kind of sad. Well, that's actually for a folk festival. Um, a friend of mine and I are are, are driving up there uh, for the uh, the Newport Folk Festival in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, there's going to be all sorts of huh. famous folk artists, certainly at least contemporary folk artists, and. Are you yeah. a fan of folk artists? Yeah, yeah. I, I for um, okay a, a solid two years, uh, end of high school, beginning of college. I, I listened to uh, the Folk Alley radio station pretty religiously, and I, and I realized that I'd I'd sort of been a fan of that type of music for a long time before then because my dad had um, David Grisman, uh, Mike Marshall, uh, the, this sort of like newgrass, bluegrass type music, and. Um, and I started listening to Folk Alley, and I would hear these artists, but intermixed with, uh, you know, John Prine and uh, Bob Seger and, you know, all these, these really important, famous American folk artists. And, uh, and the music is just fantastic. You know, I'd never really given it a thought before I, I listened to it. And, and, and again, that was, you know, sort of going back to context, it was in the context of um, this this guy, oh, I forget his name, but um, the, the DJ basically knew just a ton about all of these different artists, and he would talk a little bit about each song after it played. Um, so I kind of oh. got the, the backstory and everything, and, and it, it gave me sort of a picture of, uh, of this, this genre that I'd never really had before. Um, so I, I appreciate American and uh, other folk music a lot more now. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I I, yeah. I don't know enough about enough about folk. Um, you know, talking about culture and history, that's one that that doesn't get a lot of respect nowadays in the U.S. Yeah, uh, it's often, and I don't really know, understand it because it it really is. It's one of the few things that that is really that that grew in in America and that that it's that you can really call American. Um, you know, we've mm -hmm. taken so much from from other uh, other cultures and you know our food and our architecture and everything. But American yeah. folk music really, like, I mean, we're talking developed in the Appalachian uh, Mountains. Mm -hmm. You know, the the kind of the mountain man music uh, that yeah. you know really just you know folks had a banjo and and um, a jug and some time and came up with and a really really unique sound. Yeah. And I mean, you can yeah. sort of trace the, the musical ori origins farther back, but um, you know, the sound that developed in the, the late late nineteenth, uh, early twentieth century in America was just 
um, fantastic. And, and we, we yeah. thankfully, we still have a lot of those, those really old uh, recordings of, um, you know, uniquely mm-hmm. American folk songs. Which is nice. And, yeah. And that's something that, I mean, they're, you know, the only other, I said, well, I'm trying to think of other musical American art forms. I know I'm the, I know on stage, the only two American art forms are the American musical and the minstrel show, one of which we don't like to talk about. Yeah. But, because uh, nobody likes musicals. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, but uh, musically, I, the only other quintessentially musical art form that comes to mind is rap and hip hop. Yeah, that really um, developed which, which comes, in America, yeah. Which comes out of blues, which kind of is tied to, in some ways, folk. Um, yeah, it all intermixes. I, I mean, I think another, a lot of people would say jazz is another uniquely American musical form. Yeah, um, which again kind of comes out of blues. Which comes out of folk. I mean, you'll see, yeah. does, I watched <laughs> this one documentary where, where it all sort of intermixes, like the, the first... The first jazz artists were were folk singers, and mm-hmm. um, you know, came, but they came out of the you know the African American folk music, and yeah, uh, it just which, which I think is cool. I mean, this is all um, enjoyable. I mean, this is all interesting to me because you know the we like to put these labels on things as this is this is folk, this is jazz, this is hip hop. Yeah. When, um, it, 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 that can be so confining to to anything, you know. Labeling anything can be confining, just because it's not it's not just that. Right. It's so much more. Uh, and well, it stifles it, innovation it, too, because you know, once once you define what a thing is, it's hard for someone mm-hmm. to come along and and do something that that builds on it, that maybe you know diverges from it a little bit, um, yeah. and yet still well, stay within the tradition. And it's easy to do things that sound like that. Yeah. You know, you you listen to, I don't I don't know who the popular female artists are of the day. Oh, uh, Katy Perry, Katy, Katy Kesha. Perry. <laughs> okay, you listen you listen to them, and it's not that dissimilar from Christina Aguilera eight years ago, who I think is still performing, or yes. Britney Spears is also still performing, but it's 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 sort of it's popular because it's easy, and a lot of that's controlled by the music industry because that's what sells, but it's it's not a lot different from i mean even 10 years ago because it's a lot easier to create things that sound like things we already like yeah it's why amazon has the you know recommended section you liked this well this is like that you should try <laughs> them both <laughs> and usually the the recommendations aren't wrong they're not bad but it is stuff that is like stuff I like. It's harder well, to try new things that way. And and that's why, uh, you know, particular for music discovery, uh, Pandora has been such a, a great asset to me. It, it's it's the way that they have identified traits in music is uncanny. And, um, you know, I'll often, I'll take a starting point, you know, as a certain artist or a certain style and just let Pandora do its thing, and and what it what it does is is very clever. Um, I would love to see their their algorithm someday, but it you know it's it sort of starts with with music that's very similar to what you give it, and then over time it diverges a little bit more. So you know maybe every instead of every three songs, every every uh, two songs, you'll hear something really radically different. Um, 
and eventually it gets to the point where you're really hearing a wide diversity of music and pretty soon you'll pick up on on something else that you really like and you can start from there and then just just expand out but yeah it, it's very very and clever i need to use pandora more i just got a, a brand new smartphone when i came back from prague and so now i have pandora on the go oh which get? Is, uh, i got the htc incredible Oh, very nice. That that yeah, is I've, pretty much the best Android phone out there right now. Soon I'm, to not I'm be, but <laughs> well, well, the um, they've got a new Droid coming out. Yeah, um, which is just massive. I've seen it, and it's too big. Yes, uh, the four point three inch screen. Well, I, I was going to get the Evo for. I, I was really seriously considering getting the Evo right before my San Diego trip, and um, yeah. I I decided not to once I actually felt it in person. It's just too big. <laughs> um, yeah, the 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 incredible is the right size. Um, yeah. it's it's big enough. The screen is is big enough um, to do what I need it to do, and it isn't. And it fits in my pocket. Mm-hmm. The new droid doesn't fit in my pocket. I saw it. I looked at it. It's it's too big to be used as a phone. <laughs> Now the uh, the Samsung Galaxy S series. Once those start coming out, I think those will be those will definitely push the the Android market forward. They're they're beautiful, well made phones. I, I haven't seen those yet, but I believe yeah. you. They're right around the corner. Um, but, yeah. You know what gets me, and, and uh, you know here going off on another rabbit trail, the well, the whole Android thing. Um, I, I've been watching this market for you know all year long, and and really this is the year that Android matured. I think in in terms of the diversity yes. and and quality of the handsets, but the problem is there's there's a new and better one coming out literally every month, um, and the the Evo, which just came out a month ago, is now you know getting to be sort of obsolete. You know the 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 newer phones from HTC, the Galaxy S from Samsung are are right about to drop, and they're you know, an evolutionary step greater than the Evo uh, and better but made there, but and with more features. The, okay, I'm going to ask you this, Stephen. How is that different from a laptop or a PC? It, it, is, um, it is very, very similar to the, the evolution we saw in the PC market about 10 years ago, which is why I and, really, I'm super hesitant to, to buy one right now because the market is so fast. But you still bought one 10 years ago, did you not? Did you buy a laptop 10 years ago or a computer I, 10 years ago? I didn't. I, it was in 2003, 2002, 2003 that I built my first uh, desktop system. And, and it was, I mean, it was great for about a year and a half. And uh, about three years later, it couldn't run squat. Yeah. But it doesn't, it, it's not a thing of if it's good enough for what you need right now. Um, yeah. Because... The problem is that the cell phone market does not... Uh, cater to that sort of quick development to where people can can get what they need right now and then a year from now get something better. It says you're you're locked into this to yeah for two years. Two years from now, two years. that the the handset market is going to be completely different from how it is today. Yeah, and, but there well there I don't I don't think it's going to be that different. There are people who have iPhones they bought two years ago that work fine. Well, that's because uh, the iPhone yes, is, always... is two years ahead of everything else. <laughs> Oh, I disagree there. Um, I unless you don't want to, unless you want to hold it in your left hand. But hey. no, it's. I'm sorry. They've talked, about that. They've talked about that on Twitter ad nauseum. It's it. Uh, Is it broken or not? That's all the question I want. It doesn't drop calls. It does not drop calls like the like the 3G and the 3GS. It, yes, it does lose signal, but signal is a binary thing when you're talking about a digital phone service. It's it either works or it doesn't. 
And the simple fact is that the iPhone 4 does not drop calls. I've seen video that disagree with you, but that's fine. Just stop holding the phone that way and you'll be okay. <laughs> anyway, but, but the fact is a, an iPhone 3G came out, not the 3GS even, just the iPhone 3G, still works. It yeah. still does the same things. And that came out years ago. My However, HTC Incredible will probably still work just fine two years from now. Well, look at what HTC had out two years ago. It was the G1. The, you know, summer of 2000, um, summer of 2009, yeah, to 2008, uh, the G1 dropped. And if you look at the G1 now, that, that phone cannot do crap. It did not age well. It's, it's okay. slow. It's Look not well built. Look at a computer well from two years ago, Stephen. Right. But I it, can't run stuff I bought on a computer. If, if I bought, actually, I bought my computer. The last computer I had, I had before this one, I got this one last year. I had four years previous to that. It was dead. It couldn't run those things. That's expected. That's normal. But it lasted me just fine for what I was doing for that four years. Yes, I couldn't run the absolute top-end games that whole time. Okay, that's not going to ruin my ability to get on the internet and watch stupid videos of cats. Right. Well, I, and I, and I think that the market is very different between PCs and smartphones. Um, PCs have really hit a plateau. Um, Dell is having is struggling very very much um, trying to sell laptops and, and desktops because folks are are pretty satisfied. I mean, if if you're not a high end gamer, a laptop from three four years ago uh, is perfectly fine for doing 90% of, of what you can you need to do on a computer. Um, that's not true of the smartphone market now. That's where all the innovation is happening. It's moving at a very, very quick pace. And uh, the phones that are, that are out now are going to be you know, obsolete relatively in six to nine months. See, you, you say obsolete, I say old, and there's a difference. <laughs> uh, no, there's a massive difference. Okay, yes, again, I can't do the newest, greatest thing. This piece of technology I'm holding in my hand, I'm holding up my phone, by the way, since nobody can see me, yeah. um, is the most, probably the most advanced piece of computing technology of its size that I've ever held. Okay. We live in the future, Stephen. Oh, yeah. No, we, we, have, we certainly do. I... I'm, I'm holding something that would have frightened my great grandparents. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, oh, while you were in Prague, uh, one of the things I did for my for my grandparents is. Do you remember the the Daily Toreador column I wrote about two months ago about the the iPad being the the perfect uh, grandparents computer? I kind of remember that. Well, I I tested I exactly that theory. Um, I, I took my grandparents to a Best Buy. And, uh, and I showed them the iPad and, you know, I wouldn't say it freaked them out, but it was certainly like, you know, I, I pulled them into, you know, an alternate reality or, or, you know, far into the future because, you know, my, my grandfather looked at it and just shook his head and, you know, he, he didn't even try to use it really. Um, he was just like completely, completely in awe of, of this because it really, it, for them, they had never used a computer before. They'd seen them, you know, they'd seen other people use them. But, and I guess I didn't appreciate it until I actually saw them looking at it and trying to interact with it. There is so much that we've just sort of absorbed uh, using computers well, it, for, it, for most of our lives. It goes back to this language thing we were talking about. about yeah, how it was really, I, mean, I was I like... I pick up an iPhone, I think, I, I, I think that I intuitively know how to use it. I know what buttons to do. I know how to move things. I know the gestures that I need. Yeah. But that's not 
a that's a learned skill. That is something I have been taught. I have worked in that structure. It is not in any way intuitive. Yet every time someone picks up an uh, an iPhone, particularly, they say how intuitive it is. That's a lie. But it's intuitive uh, for people who already have a certain set of uh, precedents. And my yeah, grandparents did just, not have those. I know. I'm I'm just trying to wrap it back up to the to the language thing we kind of started yeah, on about how yeah. these these sort of structures exist. Um, because it, it's not intuitive. It isn't. It isn't magically universal, and anybody can use it, and doesn't. And it just works, as they say. Because I was having to reach very far to 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 for analogies that could help them understand. You know, just what they were seeing on the screen. I had to be like, you know, imagine you're you're moving a piece of paper around on a surface, and that's what it's like. You know, when you when you touch and drag a page, um, the pinch and zoom thing. I was I was just at a loss to 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 explain what was happening there. Because they're, you know, these are things that that don't exactly have real world analogies. Um, just like, you know, for for your for your plays, there are probably certain things that the Czechs do that just don't really have American uh, analogies. Yeah. Well, I can I can give you one of those with language anyway. Yeah. Uh, with the actual Czech language, um, Czech nouns have cases. Like we have verb tenses, you know, yeah. past, present, future. Their nouns have cases where, depending on the way you're using the noun, it is a different word. So uh, beyond just, just like changes. gender. Yeah. Because like Sp Spanish gender. has the the like the um, the male and female cases for for nouns and and for for uh, adjectives. But generally, but but those cases don't change. Gato is gato. Um, it's it is always male or always female. I guess I'm thinking for for adjectives then. Yeah, I guess the nouns don't yeah, really have changes, change. but but the adjectives nouns do. Yeah. In Czech, change. <laughs> um, so you're you're Stephen Torensu or Torenza or Torenzo, depending on the way it's being done. Your name is not always the same. <laughs> so that that's something that is really big in my yeah. brain that I I can't. I can't find an analogy for that in English. Um, there's a little bit one, and if it says, you know, it's yours, it's mine, but it's it's not a great, it's it's tricky. Yeah. Um, but you know, in Czech, Prague is Praha, except when it's not. <laughs> it's Praha, it's Praho, it, and and they're not just changing one vowel at the end. There's whole endings that are bigger. That I don't know because Czech is one of the hardest languages to learn. Yeah. It's right up there with um, Korean and Chinese. Um, that's not my assessment. That's the assessment of my professor who speaks a little bit of Korean, a little bit of Chinese, and a little bit of Czech. Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy. Are you going to try to go out there and learn Czech now? Um, I'd like to go back. I don't know that I'm going to learn Czech. Yeah. Um, there's actually a surprising amount of English in Prague, at least, um, because yeah, did, of a lot of tourists. I guess that's my last question. Then, like, did did you did you come across like you know the average Joe knew a little bit of English? Um, hard to say. I didn't. I didn't talk to a lot of strangers there. Um, but generally, at if I was at a restaurant, the wait staff knew enough English that we could converse to get my order done. They yeah. knew enough for their job. They may have learned. But the thing is, in Prague, or in Czech Republic, you're taught, in addition to Czech, you're taught either English, French, or Russian. 
the whole time. Mm-hmm. You go to an English school, a French school, or a Russian school, depending on which one you go to, you learn that additional language. So everybody has an additional language. And generally, a lot of times, English is the most popular one because it's English is a very common language. So odds um, are in any hear, given group, you have somebody that you can relate to. At least a little bit. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of that, did you hear that um, China is now um, starting to require everybody to learn English, all of their students? Oh, really? Yeah. It's probably and, for, and, uh, for business purposes. Well, it is, but in, in 10, 15 years, America will be the third largest English-speaking country, or the U.S. of A. will be the third largest English-speaking country in the world <laughs> after China and India. Dang. I, um, I like how, which, uh, in, in some circles, English is sort of becoming a, a universal language of sorts. Um, I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, at the World Cup, um, English was sort of the, the common denominator over all the countries. Yeah. Like, the referees would, would speak English to the players and vice versa. That could be. Um, and there's certainly a lot of cultural repercussions because of that. Um, you know, it's, it's because the British empire was massive and the most recent, you know, the sun never yeah. sat on the British empire. Um, cause it literally went all around the globe. And so there's that, that, that vestigial reference left. Um, so it, it sort of became everywhere when the Brits took over India, everybody had to learn English. That was, you know, one of the rules. They when they went into Africa, that's what people learned. Yeah. Um, and so and it certainly seems the case across Europe as well. That that uh, you know, most, yeah, most most folks in Europe know enough English to get by. Which is which is nice for me as an English speaking person. But the the history behind it behind it is a little bit disconcerting. Yeah. But it's not something you can change now. Nope. It's just a a fortunate convenience. Well, yeah. uh, we've made it all the way through the show in, in, in a big circle. I, I kind of like how that, that worked. Um, this, this rabbit trail apparently, uh, you know, looped back on itself. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's Kevin... It's the Ouroboros of rabbit trails. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, well, Kevin, th- thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, it's good to have you back in the, uh, in the U.S. of A. And uh, we'll do some more, some more shows here in the near future. Um, if you know if you have any guests uh, that you'd like to bring on, uh, feel free to do so, and um, you know hopefully we'll get some of the uh, the old mainstays back on pretty soon here. Sounds good. Uh, but by the way, uh, invitation extended to all and every one of your professors if they would ever like to come on the show. <laughs> that would be that would be fantastic. I don't think I, I think most of them would not like to be on it but <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe put out some feelers and see if anything happens although don't okay. get your hopes up <laughs> all right well i, I won't uh, so where can folks uh, follow you on the the world wide webs uh still on twitter at twitter.com slash kev sond um i'm also on Formspring under the same name and i have a habit of putting really long answers for really simple questions so if people want to read that go ahead well, that's, that's good, because I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I, I put really short answers to really long and complicated questions. <laughs> because I just get so many of them. Oh. Well, you know, I know. It's so terrible for you. <laughs> oh, it, it is. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, but you can follow me, yes, on the, uh, on the Twitters at uh, twitter.com slash s-torrence, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. 
and at formspring.com slash captainvalor. Uh, you can follow the show at twitter.com slash badphilosophy. We will be trying to stream all our episodes uh, live, at least the audio, in the future. Uh, so keep an eye on our Twitter account for uh, notifications on when that's going to happen, because we really like having a good, healthy chat room to go along with our discussion. Well, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. The one thing I knew about before everybody else I know that peeved me for a while was Homestar Runner. I knew about Homestar Runner before there were scroll bars on the computer he uses to do his emails, the strong bad emails. Like, that's how long ago I knew about Homestar Runner. Mm-hmm. And, like, then it became this huge big thing. I tried to tell people why, they're like, ah, eh, whatever. And it became this huge big thing, which was cool. Yeah. And then it got big, and everyone's like, hey, Kevin, have you heard of Homestar Runner? And you're and I'm like, like, yes! <laughs> and, and then I, I, I kind of have to take the approach of, if it's good, why shouldn't everybody know about it? Why do I right. have to be mad that other people enjoy the thing I like? <laughs> but it, it's it's sort of the same thing like when a band you like gets big. You're like, I like it them is. first, but now they're, they're sold out and lame, but, and everybody likes them. But they're not sold out and lame. If they're still a good band, they're still a good band. Yeah. And you have to ask, well, did I like it because nobody else knew about it? Mm-hmm. Because that's a stupid reason to like something. Um, you should be happy that your band sold out and got big, unless the music sucks. And if the yeah. music does suck, it sucks, and enjoy the old CDs. Those don't go away either. I've seen it and it's too big.